0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Becoming a parent is a seismic shift in anyone's life. Personally, I've found each age and stage comes with its own joys and challenges. I want to be a good parent, but I often struggle with the thought that I'm doing a terrible job. These days, I see a counsellor at least once a month. I've had a history of anxiety. And every time I do, I feel myself a little bit steadier on my feet and a little bit more forgiving of my own failings. Psychotherapist Jill Straker Did I say that right, Jill? Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Psychotherapist Jill Straker and Jackie Winship believe in the power of talking therapy and in their book, The Talking Cure, they they explore the way that therapy can change lives for the better. Hi, Jill, Jackie. Welcome to Feed, Play, Love.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: I know what I get out of a counsellor. What do you think parents in general could gain out of something like talking therapy?
1: Well, it sounds like part of what you get out of it is, you know, the ability to be heard and understood and have somebody sort of soothe your anxiety um, and help you to be a little more compassionate and kinder to yourself. And certainly that is, you know, something that we would hope most people would get out of psychotherapy. Um, The other thing for parents is those who have had perhaps more significant difficulties in their own childhood can get to process some of those difficulties and to understand the ways in which they might play out unhelpfully in their role as a parent. Um, And hopefully that helps them not to, if you like, sort of pass on (laughs) those difficulties to their children. Because
0: that is one thing I think parents are very conscious of today, isn't it? That we all want to be good parents, we all feel this huge responsibility. Not to say that previous generations didn't, but there's a lot of advice and information about how we can do it well. Do you find people in your um, your clients, I guess, do
2: you find them struggling with that sort of pressure? Enormously. I think that's sort of the atmosphere of the times is that everything that's happening to your child stems down to the parenting often the moms who have a bit of a bad rap, whereas really it's a whole variety of factors, you know, natural constitution, yes, the nurturing, but also the atmosphere of our times. And one of the atmospheres at the moment is this huge pressure, actually, on moms. And then I think we sometimes forget that children also, of course, as they get older more so, but they're still helping them to make choices because they're not, just sort of empty uh, glasses that we pour things into. But I I think that, and and I'm aware that you have had other uh, sort of philosophers and therapists on the show with the idea of the good enough mother, because I have listened to your show. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jo. And would want to actually affirm that idea that it's about being good enough, not about being perfect.
0: Yeah mm. there there is that idea that even you know you're not I'm not sure how you find it when in your therapy sessions but I'm not even sure that people are aware that they're being perfectionists as parents because they just see all these examples of what the ideal parent looks like um Jackie you mentioned in your book at the beginning you talk about celebrity and this um belief that people want to be famous, that there's this, <laughs> uh, there's this idea now that everyone can be famous, and that is kind of tied up in social media and yes. that kind of world. Do you see that impacting parents as well, that kind of idealism that we can see in the media?
1: Um, certainly, I think it, it impacts parents and social media impacts parents significantly and it's, you know, it's something to contend with that my own parents didn't have, you know, and we all know that on social media people tend to put their their best foot forward. So you see these, you know, posts about happy families and, you know, wonderful children and everybody children. else seems to have <laughs> it all together and be doing it all right. Um, and then I think people can start to feel very doubtful about, you know, the sort of chaos that's going on in their own homes and um, begin to really question whether there's something wrong with them in the way that they're parenting. Whereas actually, it's probably pretty normal, mm. and this impact of our own uh,
0: stuff, our own issues, on the way we parent. In a way, I mean, when I think about that. I think it's kind of hard for anyone to avoid that, right? Because our parents would have had their own stuff that they passed on to us unknowingly. I mean, we know more now about the impact of that kind of intergenerational, not even trauma, but the way Uh they do things, the way parents pass on their traits to each other. Um, Jill, when it comes to teasing apart the things that are bothering you that you're passing on to your children, how do you get to the nub of that in
2: a counselling session? Well, I love that question because I think it goes to the heart of the book. Um, You know, you asked that really interesting question at the beginning, well, what do people get out of psychotherapy and counseling? And you said for yourself what you got. And I totally sort of could resonate with that around being kinder to yourself, definitely, and being soothed. But I would add to that that in the kind of way that Jackie and I work We try also to get a meta-perspective, to look down on how is it that the two of us, therapist and the person with us, are interacting with one another. Because I think in a way how we do therapy, do in inverted commas, is also how we do life. And so, you know, are we overly compliant? Do we agree easily? Do we become oppositional and sort of easily go into disagreement? Um, How do we actually relate? And what does that reflect about our woundedness or our points of trauma and also our resiliences? Because of course what gets passed on is not only all the difficulties, strengths and resiliences also get passed on. So I think it's around being able to be connected to somebody but also with a meta perspective and to trust enough that what we're looking at is between us and it's not a criticism. It's an observation. So do you find when parents come in to
0: see you that they um, are recognising that they have something they need to work on or that they're troubled with something that's happening in their family?
1: I think there's a mix of both. You know, some parents come in very much aware that perhaps there's something they need to work on. Um, Some parents come in, you know, feeling very shamed and guilty about... The way that they're parenting Um, and in many cases you know they're really not doing a bad job at all Um, they're just holding themselves up to a really sort of unattainable standard Um, but of course there are also parents who come in and you know say what's wrong with my child you know my child is a problem my child is behaving badly um I think because Jill and I mainly work with um, with adults, we perhaps see a little less of that, but certainly we do see it. But I know that people who work a lot with children often have that problem that children are brought to therapy. And parents present them and say, "Well, do something about my child." Um. <laughs> and really, all those poor therapists—they're probably sitting there going,
0: "Well, maybe can I just refer you yourself right. to this other therapist?" <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Mm. Um, well, if we could talk about something that's quite specific, do you have you had much experience with parents coming to see you um, with postnatal depression? Is psychotherapy something that can help in that? um particular area.
2: Yes, there are many parents who come with postnatal depression. And again, I would go to the broader social aspects because, you know, we're kind of told that this is the most joyous, the most wonderful, it's a fantastic event. And, of course, having a baby is a wonderful and fantastic event. But there's such pressure to actually be joyful and not... Really take into account that one might be frightened, one might be anxious about the way your whole life is being altered, the extra responsibility, the dependence of this little person upon you. So, yes, there is quite a lot of uh, postnatal depression that I think can be helped through psychotherapy. And just adding to what Jackie said, because I started out, you know, and worked for many years with children on the other side of it. And I would say that at a certain point, if things become entrenched in the family, the child is actually manifesting certain difficulties. And um, it can be because of the family, and certainly the family has a part to play in remedying it. But there's so many other factors around siblings, around school, around constitution. So I think that I would agree with Jackie that there is the transgenerational trauma and one needs to deal with it. But then also sometimes the child is a subject of so many vectors that they might indeed be presenting with difficulties. And that thing that when
0: you say difficulties, I think the thing that parents struggle with most is when their child is defiant. So I Mm. know um, I shouldn't name names with my own children, but there's definitely (laughs) moments where they'll act out. And your first question is, what have I done wrong? Why are you being like this? Do you think there's also um, an inability to accept that sometimes children up to goodness, 13, will still have tantrums, like their brains, something about the development of their brains. I mean, sometimes it's just inappropriate, but other times they don't know how to express their own emotions. Mm. So is there a chance that sometimes parents are going, God, why aren't you behaving? But if they did, if they behave the way we wanted them to behave, they wouldn't be children. Well. Yes,
2: I I would say I definitely think that. A, the maturing brain, and we know the brain matures a lot later than we thought it did, so I agree with that. But also I think testing the boundaries and actually seeing where the limit is. So... For the parent maybe to be able to tolerate the defiance, which is difficult because you (laughs) feel like you (laughs) might want to strangle the little darling. (laughs) But (laughs) they're also trying to see where is the limit and to feel safe because it is about attunement and about connection. But it is also about boundaries, authority, limits, and it's pretty natural to test those out.
0: Do you think that's... I mean, I know that's something I particularly fail at, with boundaries and consequences in particular. Do you think in the time that you've been seeing um, clients that parents are getting uh, maybe less adept at putting boundaries in place as we try to make sure our kids are happy and successful and all of those things? Jackie?
1: Yes, I would say that. Um, You know, I think um, that there's sort of been a move towards, um, you know, children coming first. And, and some of that is a very good move. But it also can mean that, you know, parents feel afraid to put boundaries in place or to say no to a child or to upset them in any way and feel as if they have to make everything in their life perfect and easy. And, of course, you know, that has a whole lot of consequences Um one of which is, you know, the lack of resilience building, um, but also the development for the child of their own sense of a boundary because the child has to separate from the parent in order to become a functional adult. And in fact, boundaries are a part of that. And disagreement and conflict is a part of that. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Toddlers and adolescents, for example, both go through a phase where there's quite a lot of defiance and it's a way of, the, there are two developmental stages where the child is actually pushing to find out who they are, where they begin and end and where the parent sort of starts and ends. And so it's actually very important developmentally.
0: We'll be back with Jill and Jackie in just a minute. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand.
1: I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one, because it doesn't look as bad Yeah, like a
0: disguise. (laughs) (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. There's an interesting example in your book that I found slightly uncomfortable because <laughs> I'll, I'll explain the example and we can maybe talk through it. it there was a, a woman that came to see one of you and it was um, she, the child was acting out and she was telling the story about how her husband responded to the child acting out. And the husband was calling her a spoiled brat or was really angry. And in the example, you say that the the mother was perhaps enabling her child's behavior in a way because she was undercutting the husband's authority by telling the girl that her behaviour was inappropriate and the mother was perhaps not seeing what the child was doing to make this situation quite so difficult. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Uh, Because there's been plenty of times and I find this really interesting because there's a lot of um, information about... um, being compassionate to your children and understanding where they're at. And so a lot of parents, I know I do in that situation, if my daughter was having a fight with my husband and he would yell at her, I would say it's not okay for daddy to yell at you. I mean, it's not okay for you to yell at daddy, but he's an adult and he's an adult who should be responsible for his own emotions and he should control that. Um, Can you talk me through um, why in that particular situation in the book it wasn't appropriate for the mum to be doing that? At the risk of putting myself out there, (laughs) making the same mistake.
2: (laughs) Well, I think you're jolly brave to actually bring yourself in like that, (laughs) I have to say, (laughs) most definitely. And in a way, doing what we're hoping in the book, that everybody will recognize themselves, not only in one, but in many chapters. Because, as we've said, none of the people in the book are actually real, because we wouldn't want to talk about the patient, just because we don't want to betray that trust. So it's a sort of amalgam, but it is a scenario which you can relate to. And yes, I can go with you that I think, you know, the parent losing it and shouting in relation to the child is a problem, and I understand where you're coming from. But I guess it's also around the fact that if one has got a history, which you've already indicated us, say of anxiety, then when there's an intensity or raised voice without it even necessarily going to shouting that can raise your anxiety and have a bit of an over-identification with the vulnerability of the child and the child of course then picks it up in child children are wonderful uh, splitters. They know how to get the parents (laughs) on, you know, different paths so that they can perhaps get uh, an advantage. So that's why we see it as actually a kind of, uh, it's a whole host of factors that actually go into that. But Yes, I I agree with you that, you know, it is the adult's position to sort of not lose it, but which of us has never lost it? That's the first thing. And the second thing is I, I think that it is something to do with one's own trauma system, if you like, that gets mobilized and then there's the identification with the child and wanting to protect and block, which is a natural instinct. But in a way, what we lose sight of is that both parents love their children so much and each one of them wants what's right for them. But how do the two of you get back onto the same path? This is the real question.
0: Mm, that is a real challenge. I just I can't help feeling that um, psychotherapy should just be a part of all of our <laughs> lives, for, particularly from the time we have children, because there are mm. so many complex relationships going on and um, in particular I've always felt that if I could go back again when I had my kids, one of the th- things I would definitely have done is with my first baby I would have made sure I went to speak to someone every month. I feel like it's such an intensely big change in your life and there's mm-hmm. even though there's a lot of support, the kind of, um, the way people access it is pretty random.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think you don't need to convince Jill and And I (laughs) of that, you know, parents, but certainly we would think most people would actually benefit um, from Mm. psychotherapy, um, not only because they're having major problems, but actually as a kind of wellness factor, the way Mm. to sort of best care for their own mental health and well-being. But parenting in particular is such an incredible demand on us. Um, I know for myself, you know, that nothing has impacted my life as much as having a child. Um, And that, you know, I certainly struggled in the wake of that. And I think many people do and then feel shame around the fact that they're not finding it all, you know wonderful and joyful and easy. Um, Mm.
0: Because it's a very conflicting time, isn't it? Like it was only this week I bumped into a mum at the gates of childcare and I said, oh, how are you going? And she said, I'm having a terrible morning. Mm. And I went, you know what? I am having a terrible morning too. And we sat there for 10 minutes and just talked about how terrible our morning was. Mm. Um, And it just made me feel so much (laughs) lighter walking away from that. But the conflict in parenting is that, um, like you say, you you can have that experience where it's just like, oh, please, can you just make my life easier? Mm. And then the next minute you'll be thinking, Soon they're going to be 13 and they're not going to even want to hold my hand. And it's a huge <laughs> yeah. emotional conflict.
1: It, yes. You know, it evokes, you have to deal with dependence and you also have to deal with separation as they grow up. And both mm. of those things are things that sort of really can trigger us at quite a deep level. Mm. Um, and so, you know, kind of figuring yourself out, if you like, um, especially in a sort of relational way, can be really helpful for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're talking about how difficult parenting can be, but also how anxiety-provoking, because all of a sudden, you know, somebody once said to me, being a parent is like having your heart walking around outside of your body, you know. There's this you, – you've never loved – Anything so much, and yet it's not entirely under your control. And I think yes, yes, know, that can be something that's very difficult for mm. people to navigate. Yeah, that's what stops me sleeping at night.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, and we don't know when we're having a child that the fine print is saying. I agree to actually have my happiness determined by somebody other than myself. I agree to have my consciousness split between myself and somebody else for the rest of my life. And there are all kinds of clauses that one didn't know one was signing on to. Yes. So I think it is a really difficult um, task and such a responsible task that I think you know is overlooked as uh, work which I suppose goes to the fact that lots of women's work perhaps is overlooked. But I liked your point, and I think Jackie and I are quite passionate about that, because, you know, when people go to Pilates, they go to exercise classes, they go to yoga, they look at their diet, they do all kinds of things. But what do they do for their mental health and well-being? And I agree, look, it's expensive, But if you start looking at it in terms of prevention and the transgenerational transmission, I really think that Medicare and all these institutions would actually find they saved money rather than lost it in the longer term Mm. to invest in well-being, mental well-being. And
0: the thing about psychotherapy as well, or what I found anyway, is that These days, especially as a parent, there is no time for reflection. There's no time to stop and think, why do I feel like I'm being a bad parent? Or why is it that I'm having these highs and lows and at the end of the week I just want to go to bed at 8 o'clock? You know, We don't have time for reflection. But if you have booked in to talk to someone who is only there to listen to you, then that means you're stopping and you're actually... What is it about the life um, unexamined? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know the quote properly. But, you know, that's the idea that we miss out on in the pace of life today. I feel like we could go on forever. I really need to talk about when my children are no longer dependent on me. <laughs> but maybe I'll just book in for a separate session with one of you. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for coming in. Thank it's been a you pleasure.
1: Thank you for having us. Indeed, yes. Thank you.
0: That's psychotherapist Jill Straker and Jackie Winship. They are the authors of The Talking Cure, Normal People, Their Hidden Struggles, and the Life-Changing Power of Therapy. We'll put links to where you can find this book in the notes of this episode.